We uh, took a break last week from uh, going through 1 Samuel for Easter, uh, but we're back in uh, this Old Testament book together this morning. Uh, if you remember, this, uh, the book of, uh, of 1 Samuel was given to God's people to direct uh, their, their longings, their allegiances, uh, their, their hopes on the king of God's own choosing, the one that God would provide for himself. And we've seen that, uh, even as we saw last week in, in, in Luke's account of Jesus' life and teachings, what Jesus said is that the Old Testament understood rightly points us to Christ, uh, to his work, to what he would accomplish as the one true king, the Jesus of Nazareth, the man of God's own choosing who would suffer, die, and lead his people into deliverance and redemption. Uh, so the, this morning, as we look in uh, 1 Samuel back, we're going to be in chapter 16 this morning. We're going to see that these, these same truths apply for us because we still struggle to give our allegiance, our hope, our confidence to Christ, our chosen King. We're going to look here in chapter 16 this morning. If you're following along on, uh, in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 238. We're going to look at the whole chapter this morning. Um, remember where we left off uh, several weeks ago uh, due to Saul's rejection of, uh, of God. He has been rejected as king. And now we're going to begin to see uh, the, the movement as God is going to begin to establish the king that he, he chooses. So let's look here together in chapter 16. Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And Yahweh said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what Yahweh commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling. Do, do you come peaceable, peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely Yahweh's anointed is before him. But Yahweh said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For Yahweh sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has Yahweh chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has Yahweh chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, Yahweh has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he went and brought him in. 
Now he was ready and beautiful, with beautiful eyes and was handsome. And Yahweh said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from Yahweh tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and Yahweh is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have preserved. a reliable and accurate and true revelation of Yourself. We thank You that You've given us the Scriptures and that You still continue to speak to Your people and change and work in Your people through Your Word. And we ask and pray that You would do that this morning. Uh, Show us uh, the, the beauty and the sufficiency of Christ our King that our hope would only and always be in Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. These chapters are, are, are seeking to, to, to let us know more and more about our God, uh, the God who has saved and redeemed us, the God who has appointed a, a king for himself. And one of the things that sticks out in this passage, in fact, it begins with this, that we notice about our God is we see the grace that God gives. Did you notice that in the first few verses? Uh, Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Do you remember why Saul was rejected? Saul was rejected because he rejected God from being his Lord and his king. Do you remember how Saul came even to be on the throne? It was due to God's discipline, his punishment of his people because they had rejected God as being king over them. But why would that be? Well, that's because that's a common theme for humans. Going all the way back to Genesis 3. God has always been the ruler and king over His creation. Yet, humanity consistently rejects Him. We do not want Him to be our king. But what do we see God doing here? 
He still is purposefully and intentionally seeking to provide a king. Not just to establish authority, but to bring redemption. God is still pursuing a people and a world that reject Him from being their King. Here we see the grace of our God who has said, even though you consistently and constantly reject Me, I am going to bring one in your midst that will ultimately establish My kingdom. And the result of His rule and reign will be far better than you ever deserved. For My grace and My mercy will abound through Him to you. Do you remember the, the result of, of, of Saul's reign? How it just brought misery and suffering uh, upon the people. Or think, what's been the results for the world and for humanity when we've decided to take the kingship and to commit high treason against our king? Aaron already reminded us of that this morning. It's, it's misery. It's grief. It's suffering. It's pain. Experiencing the, the consequences of our rebellion. But what are the results of the rule and the reign of the King that God provides? He will rule in justice. He will rule in righteousness. He will suffer on behalf of His people and offer forgiveness to those who place their hope and their confidence in Him. The result of the rule and the reign of the King that God provides will be a total renewal and restoration of all of creation. And we will dwell with Him forever. We don't deserve this. We do not deserve this. The fact that we see here that God is still committed to fulfilling His promise to bring about the ultimate one who will bring peace is a testament to His grace. And it should humble us to recognize and see who, who is this God that we serve. David, we're going to see, is ultimately not going to bring this peace. But the son of David, his great-great-great-grandson, Jesus of Nazareth, will be the one who does this. We're confronted here by the grace that God gives. But also, uh, Samuel, uh, in uh, this book here, uh, not that Samuel wrote it, wrote it, but here in the book of 1 Samuel, we're also struck and our attention is drawn to the heart that God sees. Do you notice that there's a, uh, the author is drawing our attention with this language of, of seeing, of looking, of appearance. Uh, notice in verse verse 6. When they came, he, meaning Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, Surely Yahweh's anointed is before him. But Yahweh said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For Yahweh sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. 
even before this, in, in the language that, that God uses when He speaks to Samuel, back up in verse 1, He says, I have provided for Myself a king among His sons. That is also bringing in similar language of seeing. What, what is it about the way that God sees and the way that man sees? Remember, this, this language of appearance, of the height, of, of stature, Remember, that's how the people initially selected Saul, drawn to him to be their king. He looks like a king. Outwardly, he seems to have it all together. He looks like the kind of person who would deliver and save and redeem us. But they were wrong. And here, God is reminding us of that. He has rejected the one that you look to just with the outward appearance. And he's saying, I have chosen one through the way that I look. I don't look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. You see, as they go through son after son after son of Jesse, it's none of the ones that, that look like they would be the ruler. It's the youngest who's off in the, the sheep fields. who They didn't really even consider worth inviting to the feast as he's doing his job out in the hills. But God sees differently than we see. What is it that he saw in David? It was not perfection. If you remember when we looked back through uh, uh, during our, our Advent series, remember we looked at some of the women that were mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. And we looked at a great sin that David committed with Bathsheba. It's not perfection that God is seeing. It's something different. Remember, one of the things that we saw about Saul consistently that came up over and over again, and that in fact increased, was his failure to respond appropriately to his own sin. He resisted acknowledging his sin before God. Anytime any sin was pointed out, he was quick to want to blame other people or justify himself for what he was doing or flat out deny it and tell God, you're wrong. I have kept all your commandments. But David is different. Look over in Psalm 51. This is a psalm that was written in response to the exposure of that great sin and rebellion of David. I want us to draw our attention because we can't see as God sees. We can't see the heart. But if we know that this is the kind of heart that brings delight to God, then we can learn from David's response Because the king in Israel wasn't just to rule. The king in Israel was to be the ideal covenant member. They were to lead and demonstrate to the rest of the community what it looked like to walk faithfully with their God. They were to be the chief repenters. What do we see of David's heart here? Listen to what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. From the beginning, David is going out of his way to acknowledge his sinfulness. That he was the one who rebelled against God. He's even declaring and saying, your judgments are just. Remember how much of a contrast that is to Saul's reaction of wanting to justify his own actions or even uh, in, with uh, forcefully wanting to keep Samuel from going away to avoid the consequences he's experienced? David is saying, you are the just one. I have sinned against you and I acknowledge my sin before you, my God. And in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter with snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Rejoice to me the, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing heart. Notice, David is already acknowledging and seeing his only hope is in God. He's not trying to fix and change himself. He acknowledges he can't do it. It is only God who can create and change that heart in him. He's humbly recognizing that even as king, he is desperate for the work of his sovereign and gracious God, not just to forgive him, but to change and transform him. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Remember what we saw with Saul just even a couple of weeks ago? Is it related to sacrifice? That Saul wanted to use sacrifice as a means to excuse his own sin and to do his own thing. David here is learning from the life and the rebellion of Saul. And he is saying, I do not want my life to be like this. I recognize what you desire, God. And I want my heart to be changed and I want to worship and depend and walk with you in covenant faithfulness and encourage your people. I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. You see, God isn't calling and appointing David because he's perfect. He's calling and appointing David because of his humility when come face to face with the sin. David recognizes his deep need of God. If, if we want to learn from this and, and, and give our, our allegiance and our heart and orient our lives to following the King that God has given for us, we want our hearts to be the same way. Notice, this isn't, you need to, to toughen up and be like David. What we need to do is learn and see how does David's heart call us to respond. And he is in constant dependence, recognizing his need for his God to work and move as God's people. 
seeing and knowing what God delights in and the hearts that He looks upon. May we be those who are in dependent prayer, asking our God to change us in light of His grace and in light of the heart that He sees. But also, we're drawn and our attention is brought by the author here in chapter 16 to the time that God keeps. Uh, we uh, have one young one who does not like to get up at a normal hour. Uh, it, sometimes there's a four at the front of the clock. Sometimes there's a five with zeros after it. Um, and so we, we thought that something that would be helpful is if we got a, a, a clock and put it in his room that uh, helped him know when it's the right time to get out of bed. And this clock, when you can set it to, to, uh, for a sun to turn on. And when the sun turns on, that means it's time for Harris to get out of bed. The problem, though, is uh, Harris doesn't like this clock all the time because he says it takes too long. <laughs> this clock is too slow. Uh, sometimes I'll hear him wake up in the five o'clock hour and we compromise by making the sun come on at six. And I walk in and he's just sitting there staring at it. <laughs> My moon's still up, wanting the sun to come up. There's something wrong. This clock isn't moving at the right speed. Is it broken? No. What Harris needs to know and understand is that we have established the time on that clock for the sun to come up. Not when Harris thinks the sun needs to come up, but out of what's in the best interest of Harris and the rest of the family. <laughs> but from his perspective... This clock is broken. The world would function better if it operated on His time. What about God's time here? Do you ever find yourself staring at what God's doing in your life and wondering, when's the sun going to pop up? Why is this taking so long? It's broken. God's watch must be slow. He's not operating in the timetable that I think He should. If He really cared, He would act quicker. He would do this. But notice, even here, God's timetable is confusing. The time that God keeps is not the same time we keep. Remember how the people of Israel have been suffering. Finally, God has, has chosen His King. But what are we told about Him? In verse 11, Samuel says, Are these all your sons? And he said, Well, there remains the youngest. Great. You're calling a young boy to be king. How long is it going to take for this boy to grow up and be in a place to where he can deliver this people. God, if you really cared about bringing redemption and deliverance, would you not call 
a man who already had wisdom and experience and who is ready right now to deliver your people. Don't you realize we're still suffering under the Philistines? But God's operating on a different timetable than we are. Also, notice, uh, even in verse 13, it tells us that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Uh, Immediately, God gives David this Spirit that is equipping him to carry out the calling that God has given him. But if, if we were to peek ahead and look at what David's calling is over the next several chapters and years of his life, it's not to be king right away. What is the Spirit of God equipping him to do? What is the Spirit of God calling him to do? It's going to be to suffer. In verses 14 and following, we find that David ends up in the capital, serving in the the court of Saul. Perfect time. Perfect time for David to take over. You have him here, God. Why don't you just go ahead and give him the authority now and let him rule and reign? But that's not God's calling and His purpose. It's going to be years and years and years before David's kingdom is established. And he is being called to learn. He's being called to suffer. He's being called to be rejected. What is God doing? What is going on? Because in the meantime, this is going to be difficult for the people. In the meantime, this is going to be difficult for David. But ultimately, we see that this is the way it works for the king of God's choosing. Because remember, the ultimate one that David is... Uh, just the shadow of that we're awaiting and longing for him to come. How much longer do we need to wait from David's time to the coming of Christ? It's going to be over about a thousand years. And how does he show up? With armies? Horses? Chariots? In a diaper. In a diaper. We gotta wait for him to grow up. And then does he establish an army quickly? No. His consistent message is that I need to suffer and die. The disciples struggle to understand it. We struggle to understand it. God's timetable is not on ours, but what do we recognize and see that the work of God is accomplishing? It's his perfect plan. It's only through the suffering that our redemption comes. It's only through the waiting that we even saw in 1 Peter. Why has Jesus not come back yet? Because God's being patient. He's not slow. His desire is for the redemption of the lost. The longer Jesus delays in returning, the more sinners will be saved. How kind is our God in that? What about your suffering? Your hardship? Your pain? Do you trust this one who is willing to suffer for you that he has good intentions and purposes even in your suffering and your hardship and your difficulty? When you look at your clock and you're longing for the sun to finally come on, would you know that the one who is precisely 
and perfectly set that clock to His timetable that He's good, that He loves you, and at the perfect timing, your redemption will come. The sun will rise and He will renew and restore all things. But lastly, we see here not just the grace that God gives or the heart that God sees or the time that God keeps, but lastly, we see the demands that God makes. Notice in verses 21 through 23 what it says of David. David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Remember what what happened in in judgment uh, upon Saul? Uh, God takes away this equipping uh, spirit that He gave to carry out His purposes among His people, and instead He gives him this uh, this spirit of punishment and torment. Uh, Saul is looking for relief, and where does he find it? Where does he find blessing in the midst of his hardship and his struggle? It's in the Anointed One, God's chosen King. Saul doesn't realize and recognize that. But he loves David as long as David can be a benefit from him for him. An armor bearer, a, a liar player, to calm and encourage my heart, to bring me blessing, to bring me comfort when I'm when I'm struggling and I'm experiencing difficulty. Oh, I love David. Please send David. I want more and more and more of David in my life. You know how long that attitude's gonna last? We only have to turn a few more chapters till we realize that when Saul begins to find out that he is not king, that the ultimate authority and the one that God has chosen is David, Saul is grasping on to his rule and his kingdom with all that he can do. Uh, He's all about the blessings that the anointed one might give him. But he does not want to hear anything about the demands. Because what it means is when God places His chosen one on the throne, all others who have any sort of claim of rule must set it aside. You see, that, that's the same for us. Uh, sometimes we can, it's, it can be easy to think of Jesus and all the benefits and blessings that He brings. Heaven? Sure! Who doesn't want heaven? If Jesus will bring heaven, I'll follow Him. Whatever that means. Oh, I just need to pray a prayer. Oh, I'll pray a prayer. And now I can go back on to living my life the way that I want to. Because I have heaven. Or to think about blessing and community. Uh, I'll, uh, uh, yeah, I want Jesus to be a part of my life because I want to be a part of this, uh, this church. I want to get to know friends and, and have uh, connections and people there. I don't want to be lonely. That's a great thing. I even know people who, who their, uh, their desire to call themselves a follower of Jesus and to be a part of His community is so that they can advance themselves uh, socially, to have a platform, to get elected to, to public office. Jesus provides a benefit there from their perspective. Uh, 
But what begins to happen when we begin to understand and realize the demands that God makes and how we should properly respond to the one that He places and puts on the throne? What does Jesus say? If you want to follow Me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. You must follow Me. It's hard and difficult. Jesus wants those who are considering following Him to know the cost that is associated with being a follower of Jesus. And it starts with denying yourself. Denying your own claim to the throne. Denying that you are the ruler. And recognizing that it's Jesus. And that you will follow Him. Realizing that the greatest blessing comes from knowing Him. And it may mean suffering. It may mean just like our king suffered, we are called to suffer. Because I'm not in it ultimately for my blessing, but for His glory. We, we need to consider as we think about our own approach to Jesus. Do we recognize, just as the psalm we prayed earlier, that, uh, that his, his commandments are trustworthy? that they're good, that His precepts are right, and that King Jesus has all authority and claim on your life. And if we are going to follow Him, then we need to recognize those demands, those obligations we have as His people. But realize and recognize that Jesus' burden, it's light. His yoke, it's easy. Who wouldn't want to submit to this good and gracious King? You see, our greatest need is the King that God provides. And as long as we're clinging to our own rule, we're going to experience the difficulty and hardship that comes from being horrible kings. But God in His mercy, do you hear Him? Do you hear Him speaking to you today? Calling you to trust and hope in His King? Calling you to let go of your claims to authority? Submitting and trusting in His grace? Seeking to see your heart transformed? Patiently waiting for His work that He's doing in your life? And trusting and resting in Christ as we await His return? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. Uh, We thank You that You are uh, the King of God's own choosing. We thank You that You are doing uh, and accomplishing uh, Your work in the world. We pray that You would give us eyes to see as You see, uh, that we would trust and hope only in You as we await Your return. Uh, In Christ's name, Amen.